one, two, five, nine. Father, preacher, servant, leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell? I have been having a, a summer of horror movies. I haven't so much this past week because Ian doesn't do horror. Yeah, he he has one of the more vivid imaginations of anybody I've ever known. And so I think when he sees it on screen, it is a, a suddenly a very real possibility. He does not do scary. So there's that. But there's plenty of horror movies. Like I watched The Exorcist and it wasn't that bad. I mean, I get it. I get it. I get the pea soup. Like I get the the head turning all the way around. But like, I didn't have to hide under the covers at any point, you know? I watched Stranger Things. I guess that's sort of like horror. I haven't watched like Stranger Things yet. What? I've watched the first three seasons. I haven't seen the fourth oh, okay. season. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, tentacles are not my thing. Like, they don't creep me out. I'm just like, look, here is a, a sea monster, you know? I don't, it doesn't bother me. I guess it should. I don't know. So if I had to go back and do a PhD program, which I don't really ever think I really want to do, is I think horror movies are a perfect understanding of our society's understanding of religion. So C.J. McCrary, who is in my PhD cohort, is doing the exact thing you've suggested at, for her PhD. She's been on the podcast twice, so I will send you her she's episodes. Doing, she's doing religion and horror literature as uh as her as her research so now, there you go did she talk about this on your podcast mm-hmm. yeah yeah with a, with a dumb minisode episode this <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no 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 welcome welcome to the episode we've already talked about with an actual expert i'm, I'm a white cisgender no, man I'm, who knows more <laughs> i i'm not suggesting that at all we can still talk about it i'm just letting you know that there are people who do that work that you can you could connect you dive into. Boom. Yeah. Um, she's a great, if you're on Twitter, she's a great Twitter follow. She is a great Twitter follow. CJ does a lot of like, one of the things CJ will, will talk to me about is how the hor- horror as a, as a genre really comes into its own after the Protestant Reformation, mm-hmm. because, because horror is uh, like the roots of horror are decidedly anti-Catholic. And that's why, you know, that, and even to even now, up to now, we can see that, particularly with like Midnight Mass, right? Like we, we can see that Catholicism is still, it's still a Protestant um, critique of Catholicism, even up to this point. Um, and so when people, like after Midnight Mass debuted, like we talked about, Joe and I talked about a, um, an article from Vox. Uh, the, the woman who wrote it was upset because Midnight Mass was too religious, you know, and, and that she really sees horror as a sort of essentially atheistic medium. And, and CJ was like, CJ was like, this person is completely wrong in every, every, or, or rather CJ's like, or rather this person is simply a secular Protestant who doesn't, who doesn't fully understand that, you know, the entire horror logics are rooted in theology and, you know, and, and, the experiences of, of and religious experiences. So I like and that. Like, stuff. I whip that out for parties. <laughs> that's good. I, and brag, brag on my part. I talked to one of the writers from the show after we did our review of it and put it out on Twitter. And they said that uh, they also read this Vox piece and were like, how, how does this feel like it's betraying atheist? Like what, what is this person right. talking about? Because it is, uh, it is the writers really dealing with, 
their perception of the church growing up and having walked away from the church, but also them being able to like incorporate in it's like the, these images of how the church can really take from a community while also having people of like really deep faith trying to act faithfully. Now, like, do they walk the line perfectly the whole time? No, but like, that's the intent. And I think that a lot of people right now are really dealing with that. Of I grew up in the church. I have really important, powerful memories from the church. We talked about this with Ophelia last week, that like your, your perfect memories of your past are not a reason to stay chained in the present, right? Um, but you like you can still have these beautiful memories of a place that did you harm and is doing harm in the world. And I wonder if you feel that way growing up uh, fundamentalist, like in and pairing all that together. There are still I mean, some of the people who cared for me the most were people who were also deeply conservative and would not accept me as I am now, which is a fuller version of myself. And I that's such a difficult line to walk. And so I, I, I and I, so I find that uh, horror. There's a weird um acceptance of everything kind of in horror like you find a place to belong because like we're looking at the nightmares and if you have nightmares you're welcome here and i love that yeah i i think so and i think i think often when i look at speaking of fundamentalist christianity and things like that like i i look at slashers Ooh, right like think like jason Voorhees is fundamentalist christianity right if you do drugs, if you have sex, you're going to die. And who ends up winning? It's the white, usually blonde virgin mm-hmm. who is able to defeat any kinds of evil. All the, Even this great evil that you see in the world, she will prevail. When in reality, uh, you don't have any better chance at, at making it out as, as anyone else does. And so I, I always like, especially getting more in kind of filling in my, my catalog with those slashers and things like that. I'm like, how is this not like the religion that I grew up with? How is this not who I am? Yeah. And it's, yeah, I, I feel that exactly. And it, it's a weird final girl trope that like just reaffirms for me over and over again, how insane the purity movement was. (laughs) Like, yeah, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I watched for the first time that like the original one. And I one was not prepared for grandpa. I thought I was wrong about many things. I don't want to spoil that for people. I mean, I mean, it's a it's a 50 year old movie. I don't think you can spoil it. (laughs) I don't know. I didn't know it was going to happen. But yeah, I thought that everybody was going to die. And then you have like the final girl who is not a virgin, but she is blonde and pretty, you know, there's, there is really something to that of like the last bastion against horror in the world is our, our precious, precious girls, which is why we get all this anti-trans hate right now is it's just that, that embedded in our brains and we have to unembed it, I think. Um, yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Transphobia across like Silence of the Lambs just... Right. We got to work on that. But Silence of the Lambs, what a great movie. I've seen that one already. But Have you seen Nightmare on Elm Street 2? I have not. These are all on my list. I just haven't gotten through them. So the idea or, or what has been put forward is that really is a very homoerotic movie that was way before its time. Okay. And, you know, and and now is being celebrated uh, in 
portions, I won't, I won't say across the whole spectrum, but in portions of the LGBTQ plus community, it is one of these things of like, hey, this is way before its time. And it turns a lot of those tropes on its head. Yeah. So I would recommend that one. Yeah. Do you do you watch any pro wrestling at all? Very, very little. <laughs> so what what you just said about that being ahead of its time, Ethan loves pro wrestling. So we talk about it on the podcast from time to time. I do. And there are many ways in which pro wrestling ends up being kind of like prog- more progressive than you would think. And I wonder if it's if it's the the weirdo factor, but it's like a good way, you know, of like, oh, well, we're the we're the rejects. We're the people who nobody expects us to tell good stories. So we're just going to tell the story we want to tell and enjoy it that way. And I wonder if that's a part of it, too. Uh, maybe that's why CJ loves pro wrestling as well. That, that might be true. Actually, I think it's a good point, Joe, because I think that I think the reputations of both mediums are such that you don't expect I don't know. You don't expect that that these things can can be anything other than a spectacle, mm-hmm. right? Like horror and pro wrestling have that in common that they're they're sort of these these spectacle based things. Like like there's nothing subtle about pro wrestling. There's nothing really subtle about about horror. Yeah. But but when both are done well, you know, I think that I think those those things can happen, right? Like like horror when horror is done well and i am no expert at all cg were here she smacked me around but like if i think when horror is done well um we discover that we are afraid of things you know and and that makes us go oh i guess i am afraid of that you know i guess that i guess that really can scare me and maybe i wasn't really aware of that and i think in pro wrestling um it's a similar thing like when you submit to the medium because like the only way you can get scared in horror is if you submit to the medium. If you if you show up mm-hmm. and you say, I'm going to allow this medium to to affect me. It's the same with pro wrestling. If you allow pro wrestling to affect you, I think you you discover you have this weird discovery that like you can still be um, you can still feel stuff like you can still feel stuff for things that are, 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 are lying a little bit or not what they're not what they're portrayed as. Um, and, and you can connect in a human way um, in very odd circumstances, you know, in ways that you didn't expect to connect with, where, where a, weir- a weird muscly guy dressed as a cowboy has the ability to make you to cheer very, very loud, <laughs> unironically, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, wow, that's, yes, I'm all in, you know. I wonder if... Um that that allowing the medium to work on you aspect of it is what um what makes conservative evangelical christianity appealing as well is it's Mm -hmm. like people walk in thinking like i i want to see jesus i want to feel something at the least and then those services are are engineered to, to make you feel something right and i think it's really easy to get caught up in something that makes you feel something especially when like you almost have to force yourself to be dead to the world around you <laughs> right now. Cause if we were alive to everything in the world, we would go insane. I wonder if there's an aspect of I can control my feelings if I allow them only to happen in these certain medium, or maybe that is me um, projecting now, now that I hear it out loud, maybe I'm just projecting, <laughs> but what do y'all think? I think, yeah, I mean, I think part of it, I, I think horror and an evangelical church it for a variety of reasons so so in our i think part of it is that 
I think part of it is absolutely the feeling piece. I think the other thing is people like simple. And evangelical mm. Christianity is simple. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. And I think the same thing with horror. Like, if you want to just turn your brain off and have a good time, like, you can watch a horror movie. If you want to actually think through, like, hey, what, what is this trying to tell me? You know, what what does Hellraiser have to tell me about the human experience Ooh. and the ways in which we view humanity and pain and pleasure and religion, et cetera, et cetera, and good and evil? Like, there's that too. And I think, you know, I, I think that whatever people want to put themselves into, right? And maybe that's part of it too, is if you want to fully immerse yourself in it, you pro- you might get something different than if you're just going for going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that. I think that's good. Have either of you seen Creep, the mm-hmm. movie? I have not. I, I Ethan, I would be, I'd be interested to see. I, I know what it is. C, CJ really likes it. So I know it. it's the, uh, yeah, I know what it is. It's, I don't want to spoil any of it for anybody who likes horror. Cause you should just go watch it. But it, um, one of the most satisfying endings of any horror movie that I've ever watched. Oh, it's just beautiful. What, what really, that one really freaked me out initially because it's a lot of, um, uh, behavioral manipulation. I mean, the main character, the two main characters are men and it's almost the way you watch the, the protagonist the whole way through. I'm like, why is he doing everything coded as if a woman would do it? You know, like being extra polite and really trying to like get on the antagonist side the whole time. And, um, really hesitating a lot and uh, not taking his own feelings seriously. I was like, well, this role was written for a woman. Like this is how, how women do, but it is like a tall, relatively strong man the whole time. Who's, who's acting this way and coded this way. And I found that really fascinating, but, but also deeply scary as somebody who's had a, a creepy coworker recently, who I had to like get out of my life. It's um, having somebody follow you around or um, just be very overly interested in you and overly intimate with you. It's um, that was a good uh, real life horror meets the horror storytelling genre, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I haven't seen the movie. And yeah, I, I think I think you hit it right on the head. I mean, I think that but I think that there's so many so many horror movies that we just don't go deep with because mm. we I, maybe there's something in it too that it it's a part of us that we don't want to admit exists Ooh, yeah yeah i believe that i feel like that that goes back almost to the roots of horror with protestantism is we're scared of like scary catholic magic stuff but we are also still christians and we believe in the power of god and so, like, what do we do with this mysterious power that we feel like we have? Yeah, I think there's a real tension there. There's a science and religion tension to that, too, um, where we're going through the Enlightenment and we're, we're kind of deciding whether the supernatural exists or not and in which way. Yeah, I would if I would. I mean, I have many Ph.D. ideas, but one of them would be to do science and religion at horror, because <laughs> I think that would be I think it fits. Have either of you seen It Follows? Mm-mm. I have. I think Ethan, you could handle it follows because it's not too too scary. 
but creep and it follows are two like almost art house horror films you know like they're mm. not they're not slashers you don't walk through it being like okay well i expect this person to die now but it's it's really it's dreamlike it's i at the beginning of it i thought the main female protagonist i was like why would we cast this person like she's just very stolid the whole way through and then you see as like things begin to pick up you're like oh no she's perfect she is the perfect person <laughs> for this role uh, and i love i love movies that do that to me that like set up my expectations and then knock me down and impress me it follows was like that and and again like a picture perfect ending i loved it i thought it was great and it combines that both the the creep aesthetic of like um uh, of like actual horror happening to people and like zombies you know like the weird zombie roles of how fast they're gonna move or not yeah right right i might just think that because i watched night of the living dead before it which night of the living dead Ethan, you could handle because it's not that scary. The zombies are not that scary. Um, <laughs> but boy, boy, were they not messing around with that film. That one was great, too. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I, and I think it's just so many, especially zombie movies, have a lot to do with consumerism and, and mm-hmm. capitalism and things like that. And have you seen Train to Bouchon? No. So it's a Korean zombie movie. It's insane. Ooh in a good way but you know and, and i think that's the other piece of it too because we've all seen like the slocky like exploitive like horror movie and i'm not interested in that stuff um, right that that's but i do think that there are lessons and and a lot of these things of like hey this is scary as we said before but what's really scary here is not these zombies What's mm-hmm. scary is the racism that exists in Night of the Living Dead. What's scary is the machismo. You know, what's scary is, you know, this kind of thing. And if you allow yourself to go there, it, it, it's like, you know, it's like ogres. It's an onion. There are layers. Mm. Yeah. I think I think what gets me most about Night of the Living Dead is that you can do everything right. You know, you can be the smartest person, the most prepared person, the um, most compassionate person, the most thoughtful person. And at the end of the day, circumstances are still get, can still conspire against you. You know, I like, I find that every time that story is told, I'm like, Oh, that's, that's the United States today. I can't handle it. <laughs> you know, it's too true in my face, but that like, that's the horror is that, I mean, not, not to compare your life to a horror story, but like, again, you are the ideal candidate for ministry and you have so many people who have your back and you've learned Robert's rules and you have people who know the system and like, you were still under complaint, <laughs> you know, like you were the ideal candidate. You were doing everything right, except for performing a same sex wedding. And, and like, you were the ideal that I wish I could be, you know, like part of me is like, man, I wish I could be the perfect person for ministry. That way I can subvert it all. And they'd have to listen to me. But even you are not somebody who's getting listened to at every single turn. You really have to fight for it. And not to jump back too much to the, to the main episode, but but that was that was a lesson for me myself. And again, I, mm. I would consider myself somebody who's tries to be very aware of those who are on the margins and things like that. But this is the first time where the process didn't work for me. The mm-hmm. first time where wow. I followed 
the process and what was put before me and was still shut out. And again, that's not to say at all, like this process doesn't compare to the oppression and, and what other people have to go through. Like at the end of the day, like it, it will be, I mean, it will be a significant portion of my life, but it is not the same as living every day, going into an appointment where they don't want a pastor who identifies as female or a pastor who identifies as gay or, you know, and, and you have to go through that each and every day and have to deal with it. Um, at, at some point, this is going to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can, if I choose to go back into that, this is what I look like. So this was really this there's been so many leadership lessons but one of them has been this process and the processes that we put out they actually don't work for people and we specifically have ways to bar people from what we tell them is the right thing to and how frustrating that is and again i want to preface it again with i realize that i'm a white cisgender straight male right and other people have lived that experience so much. But it, what it really was the first time where I'm like, wait, I did everything you told me to do, and you're still keeping me out? Okay. Yeah, yeah. You are, you're the final girl of Methodism. That's what I'm getting from the story. Oh, man. That's the title of the mini-sode right there. Joe <laughs> said that on purpose because she knew it was going to be the title. Done. The final girl of Methodism. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think this is a good lesson. Your story in relation, I don't know if it's quite in relation to horror. It's not really my my expertise. But like, Drew, I think your story sort of demonstrates to me just how how, um, perhaps incapable the Methodist Church as an institution is when it tries to do the right thing using process. Mm-hmm. You know, on one hand, there are still a sizable number of centrists and left, more left-leaning Methodists who who want to say that, like, we can achieve the right thing by by following the process, not by using the process to achieve the right thing, but by but by if by saying that the process should naturally lead to what is correct, you know. And I think that your story shows that that's not true, that that actually the only way the process leads to what is correct is if we start with a strong sense of what is correct and we say, oh, no, we're going to make the process make that happen. You know, and, and if that means we've got to push and prod and struggle with the process, we'll do it. This is something that conservatives already know, right? They already mm-hmm. know that that left to its own devices, the process doesn't lead to outcomes, frankly, anybody wants, unless you're a centrist, which is uh, the the outcome of everybody shuts up and we continue doing whatever we were doing, you know, yesterday, right? Which is why you have somebody like the bishop or or various folks, you know, who are in that camp, you know, manipulating and messing with the process in order to achieve the result they're looking for. Yeah, um, it's a real Audrey Lord. The master's tools will not dismantle the master's house situation. Yeah. Right, right. I'm here for that. Uh, well, Drew, this has been so fun. Uh, we will we'll have to do like a panel where we get CJ on and you on and we'll just like we'll all learn together. And I'm, I'm just very pumped for all this. Uh, but Ethan, will you sign us off? Yes, I can. Th- friends, thanks for listening. It's been a mini sort of what the hell is a pastor 
We're Spanks Reebok, the dude, and Blondie, and we will see you next time. What the Hell is a Pastor is a part of the Disruptive Disciples podcast network. Our theme song is written by Joe Schoenwolf, performed by Joe Schoenwolf, Ian Oriola, and Paul Oriola, and produced by Paul Oriola. Email us at wghackisapastor at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash disruptivedisciples, on Twitter at WTHIAP, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash WTHIAP, where you can get access to Pillow Talk, merch, and some other stuff. Thanks for listening. And remember, friends, Ethan gave me all the money in his wallet. <laughs>